0: So if you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll be looking at chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 this morning. In the movie, The Fiddle on the Roof, there's this moment that is somewhat funny and, and it's funny but it's also profound all at once you know and Megan and I as we have watched that movie many times and even went to some productions of that you know we've often kidded with one another specifically on this moment or this scene within the movie but even as we've done that and maybe you have no idea what I mean and but maybe by the time I share this with you maybe you will But either way, it makes a rather profound point in this scene. And there in this movie, in The Fiddle on the Roof, Tevye goes to his wife, Golda, after 25 years of marriage. And he asks her a simple question. And if you know the movie, maybe you're singing it in your mind. Do you love me? Right? Do you love me? right I'm, I'm no singer so but you get it if you know the movie you hear him singing that and you know she's taken aback by this question right you know and, and so she she responds to him do i what you know and so he asks her again right do you love me and so after years of marriage maybe you remember the scene you know she really can't fathom the question like, do you love me? We've been married all this time, you know? And so as they go back and forth, she even has this moment where she asks you know, herself, to herself, and he hears her too, but she kind of asks herself, do I love him? 25 years. And she kind of lists all these things out. She washed his clothes, cooked his meals, milked his cows, lived with him, fought with him, starved with him, had children with him. And what seems like the first time in their marriage, he's asking her this. So after listing all those things, she concludes, if that's not love, what is? And so he asks her, you know, and it's funny, but it's also like, huh, then you do love me. (laughs) And she says, well, I suppose I do. And he says to her, and I suppose I love you too. And then they both say at the end of the scene, and they sing it together, it doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. And we know that too, right? It is nice to know. It is nice to know that you're loved. Certainly that you're loved by God and how often we so often don't let that just sink in. But that you're loved by others. You're loved by the person sitting next to you. You're loved by the people in this room. It is nice to know. Now that moment... And the fill on the roof brings us to a rather similar question before us this morning. And We might kind of reword it a bit differently in view of our passage, but as Paul, he's exhorting the church of Corinth here, it's this question. But do you love them? Do you love them? So to see this, And to kind of find what Paul says in regard to the answer to that question and more, let's read here, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 13. May the Spirit of God bless the reading of his word this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, Now, of course, you know these verses, or at least I would say it's highly likely that everyone here knows these verses and has heard these verses. You might even have, you know, these verses on a shirt or two at home, right? And if not on a shirt, it might be on a a picture frame or within a picture frame there on your wall with these verses on them. And for that, for good reason as well, Right? I mean, these verses, they need to be before us, and they need to ongoingly challenge us again and again and again. You know, within this letter itself, many roads have been leading to this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul has been kind of heading here, even perhaps from the beginning of the letter, And as you think back, as you recall all that we've walked through in this letter, what were those roads paved with? Not with the me-centered kind of asphalt of our day, right? It was paved with the rock-solid gospel, right? It was paved with Christ crucified, Christ heralded. And so as we come to 1 Corinthians 13 here in these Verses here, we don't come to these verses unmindful of Jesus Christ, but we come wholly grounded in Christ as we consider love and ponder it here. Now, at root, much of what Paul is correcting here is what the Corinthians were not displaying, right? And I mean, we could go back and you could be like, yep, that makes like right there, no and right there no right again and again and again throughout the chapters of this letter you're just like well yeah they that's that's not what they were doing is they weren't displaying love and they weren't expressly displaying namely this kind of love and so the context though isn't just about anything So, just hear me, it's not talking about marriage. I know it's read often during weddings, but this is not primarily talking about marriage or anything like that. And that's important for your shirts and for your coffee mugs and for your picture frames on the wall and everything else. All this was written in the view of spiritual gifts and the spiritual gifts. Now, as I say that, though, maybe before you throw a tomato at me or a piece of lettuce or a pencil. I think these verses certainly have a wide application as well, right? I mean, and we know that. You know that in your own life. Even my reading this, uh, the Spirit of God working in your heart, you're already like, man, right there. I already see an area that I need to grow in with this. You know, this has a wide application even into all varieties of areas in our lives including marriage so we're not saying it doesn't apply to marriage but see it's within the context of others of you and me and of the church specifically is what paul is thinking of here this is where all the roads have been going he's been addressing them very specifically just the body and its members right been discussing the the spiritual gifts and how every member matters. And so we might put these opening verses in the form of a question as well, and not necessarily of the question that we open with, but this question, which would also be your first point and even a question that is right for us to ask of ourselves even right now, and it's this. But what of love? But what of love? You know, how helpful would that be if we just stopped and we asked that question of so many things, right? But what of love? I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But what of love? And so we, even without going forward yet, you can be asking that self of, the, the question of yourself. But these verses, they come right off of chapter 12, verses 31. Now, if you remember chapter 12, verse 31, what did Paul say there? He said, as he's talking about all these various giftings, he says, amidst a congregation, a church, that is prioritizing some gifts over others, which we'll see directly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as well, he says there at the end, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. And now here it is, the more excellent way before us. First Corinthians chapter 13, this love chapter here. Yet as we look at these initial verses in verses one through three, we need to understand something as we're hearing what Paul says here. We need to understand Paul is exaggerating here to make a point. So under that main point, sub-point, we need to understand Paul is exaggerating here to make a point. So what he's doing is he's using hyperbole, you know, figure of speech, exaggeration. And he's doing that to take you up as high as possible, like even picture yourself going up as high as you can to the greatest of things, the highest of mountains, and then to ask, all right, you have done all that. You're up there, yes, but now what of love? You've reached that high now, but what of love? Now, what do I mean about him exaggerating well here he exaggerates each gift in these verses in verses one through three and he's doing that like i said to take you as high as possible but he's doing that from one to the next as he's going beyond even what the gift can actually do and be so exaggeration the gift functionally is not going to be this He's going beyond it. And so, while many of us might be confused over verse 1, if I speak in the tongues or languages of men and of angels, maybe not the part of men, but of angels, we need to see what he's doing. He's, He's starting to take us up that mountain. Exaggeration, hyperbole. Like, your gift of speaking in other languages, and he's just saying, let's just say, your gift is so great that you could speak to angels. Like, you are unique. Like, nobody can just do this, but you can. Let's say you're that great. That's what he's doing. It's exaggeration. To which we're to say, as we read it, whoa, you can do that? That would be impressive if you could do that. And then in verse 2, with prophecy, this revelatory gift akin to Old Testament prophets. So think, thus says the Lord when you think of the gift of prophecy, which I would say, as we saw last time, is a gift along with tongues that has ceased. He says it might well be that your gift of prophecy is so great that you understand not some but you understand all mysteries and you have all knowledge, right? You see how he's exaggerating here? He's going above and beyond like no one has access to like all mysteries and all knowledge except for who? God. So you see, like none of us are going to get to that point here because you and I are not God. God. And so he's just kind of going up this mountain of exaggeration here. And then he alludes to Jesus' words from the Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Mark. You want chapter and verse 17, Matthew 17, 14 through 20. Chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. And Mark 11, 20 through 25. And he takes us further up the mountain and he says, essentially, you might have faith that can actually take the mountain itself and toss it into the sea, right? Faith is a mustard seed, except that's not what's going on here. Like every mountain you come across, bam, you have faith, and it is going. You know, I mean, no matter what comes in front of you, that mountain's going to be moved because of your faith. And so this is a great, even singular faith that no one has. Or verse 3. You can give away all that you have, even sacrifice your very own life. You might have the most incredible gifts, even gifts no one else does. You might even die for the faith. And yet, this brings us back to our question. And what was the question? But what of love? So, what if you have these incredible, one of a kind gifts that no one else does? If you don't have love. And so, here is where we need to see second subpoint under the first the display of incredible gifts and even of great sacrifice done without love is nothing and gains nothing. You can have all this, but if you don't have love, you're just a loud clanging symbol. Those languages that you have, I mean, that's just a bunch of noise. If you don't have love, those prophetic powers that like nobody else has, like you can you understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that faith that you have, without love, you are nothing is what he says. And perhaps just absolutely shocking to us, you can give it all away. All your stuff and everything else, you can even die for the faith. And you've gained nothing without love. So just see the intensity of our need, of your need for love as you look out right now, on everyone here, on your brothers and sisters around you as we come to church Sunday after Sunday as we attend home groups and more, ask yourself, but do you love them? Do you love them and are you loving them? And so as we consider these things, Consider the heart behind what you do. Consider the heart behind what you do. That's the third or fourth sub-point under the first point. Consider the heart behind what you do. Love is not merely what you do, and it's not merely an emotion either, right? It's both. It's not... Just one or just the other. And we can go very quickly to one passage, right? Matthew 22. Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. Everything. That's the kind of love you're to have. Mind and heart. The Lord is concerned with more than our words and more than our actions. Yet, he is concerned with our words and with our actions. The love of Christ is to drive us both inwardly and outwardly as believers and followers of Christ. And so we need to ask, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it merely tradition? Is it merely, I'm doing it because I'm doing it? Is it merely, is it, is it not even merely, is it just legalism? Is it a facade? Is it a mask? What is it? What, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it out of love for Christ? Is it out of love for others that we do what we do? So who are you really doing what you do for? And just set it before you and ask that question. It's not so much about how great your gifts are. It's not about how long you have served or how much you have served or how much you've given. But are you exhibiting the love of God in Christ Jesus? That's what Paul is asking of us. That's what the Spirit of God is pressing on us. You, have made, you may have done incredible things. You may have given so much. But it's nothing if it wasn't driven by love for Christ and love for others. And so we need to ask these things. Your gifts may be great and lofty, or you might be, you know, even outside of the gifts that Paul lists here, you know, you may be incredibly creative. You know, maybe you're very artsy, and that's good. Now, if you think art is like contrary to church, it's not. I mean, think about everything around us, like creation, who did that? The most creative person, being in all, Right? The one God, eternally existing in three persons, he did that. He is creative. You may be able to analyze with precision, think logically, consider points and details and arguments. Your ability to do that may be very great, or maybe you're just really good with your hands, amazing at your job, above the rest even. But then we come back to our question but what of love so what you may have the degrees you may have the education you may have accolades from your employment you may have the savings account you may have the money you may have given you may have supported you may have went on missions but what of love you may have great knowledge of god and his word But so what? Who cares without love? So consider the state of your love as well. Consider the state of your love. Last sub-point under the first. Consider the state of your love. Where is it? Is it dry and dried up or is it lively and full? You know, I think all of us can honestly say, and I hope you do, as I'm saying this with you. Lord, I need to love more and better. I need to love you more and better, God. And I need to love others more and better. I think that's part of why this passage is so challenging to us. Because it does hit us right in all these areas. Now I think in our day, in our time, perhaps especially in our day in our time where we are Loving the American dream and our couches and couch cushions. We'd be right to hear the words of Jesus from Revelation, chapter 2, and verses 2 through 5, where he warns, I know your works, your toil, and your patience and dur- patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call them apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing out for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. A faithful consideration of these things here that Paul is saying includes doing just what Jesus said there in Revelation. Which is what Paul it was essentially asking of the Corinthians. And so of you, and so of me also, but what of love? Where is that? Is that part of the ebb and flow of your life and your church and your homes? What of your love for one another? Or opposite of teviya, but do you love them? And this is where. We see here our second, or this second point that Paul makes here. And it's what love is and what love isn't. So verses four through seven, second point, what love is and what love isn't. Now these verses, they are convicting, and I mean all of them, but these certainly here also, they're convicting, but they're also odd. (laughs) And they're odd because Paul tells us, More about what love is not than what love is, right? Yet, as we said, and we heard just a moment ago, love is both is both something you do and it's something in you, right? It's something emotive, effective. And it's not just that, it acts for others' good. And it's like Mike likes to say, for others good and God's glory. Love is like what Mike read a moment ago as well from 1 John chapter 3. What does love do? Well, let's remember it loves your brother. It is like Jesus. And what does it do? It lays down your life for others. Lays down one's life for others. It's not just in word or talk, but it comes in deed and it comes in truth. Head and heart, hands and feet, no division, no contrast, all together for his sake. Because of God's love in us, the Spirit of God pouring out his love in us, and so it can't stay in, it has to go out. Head and heart, hands and feet. So as we consider what Paul says here, Consider the state of your love. And as we walk through these verses here, verses 4 through 7, even pray through these. Perhaps even later at home, just sit down with you and the word here, just you before the Lord, and pray through each one of these. Have I been walking in these? Am I walking in these, Lord? And so let's consider these. First, Paul says what love is in verse 4. And if we could sum it up, we would say this, it love considers others. Love considers others. That's what patience is. That's what kindness does. It's waiting on others. Why? Because you love them. I'm going to wait for you brother, sister. It's walking with them, walking beside them, and waiting for them. It's kind, it's gentle, warm, it's considerate, it's helpful. Now, in all those, in these, let me just ask you, is that not how Christ has been with you? Patient and kind. Wow, he has been so patient and kind to me. And I know you would say the same thing. How patient and kind he has been day after day. He doesn't look at you in the morning or at the end of the day. Maybe he's special at the end of the day, right? He like, did it again. Pathetic. <laughs> he, he doesn't do that. That's not what he does with his children. He's patient, and he has been kind with you. Even as Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Amen. So for, for you here this morning who know the Lord, that's why you know the Lord. It was his kindness on display. That's your life. And for you here, perhaps, who don't know Christ this morning, you may be like, well, God's just holy. He's just wrathful. Well, friends, God is desireful and kind to you and and aiming to be kind to you that you would turn not from him, but to him this morning and cease hoping in all sorts of things, but hope in Christ this morning. And to put your faith in the one who came and lived and died for you and displayed his love for you. And when did he do that? He did it while you hated him, while you would have nothing to do with him, while you were spitting in his face, reviling him, insulting him. He came for enemies. And he said, I'm going to die for my enemies. And it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. And so this morning, if you don't know Christ, may you repent and turn to the Lord who loves you and he has demonstrated his love for you. It's not a question. He has shown it and laid his life down to save you. And this patience and this kindness is much of what the Corinthians were not doing. (laughs) They were not being patient and were not being kind to one another. And so this is an exhortation for us and for you and for me here this morning. Love does what? What? It considers others. Second, and for the rest of these verses, Paul, he talks about what love isn't. So we heard very briefly from what love is. Now he spends the rest of the time talking about what love is not. First, love is not all about you. That's what envy is struggling with. They have it. And I don't have it. And I want it. (laughs) And takes not many steps to go from that to, and I'm going to get it. Anger, bitterness, hostility. All about you. Boasting. Or literally to behave as a braggart, or as I like it literally says here, to be a windbag. So, if you're boasting, you know what that means, being a windbag. You're just really full of a lot of hot air, right? It's really only considering what you are, what you have, and what you can do. Not about others. It's about me. Arrogance is along similar lines. It's it's puffed up with self, and it's not denying self but it's exalting self. Rude is doing what's improper and inconsiderate socially, even barging your way in. It's saying, forget about what other people think. Forget about any social kind of conveniences here, or rightness, even gospel social like impetus upon us. You say, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And so in all of these, we need to ask, where is the other person? Are you considering them? What of how God views that person in front of you? Has he not made them in his very own image do you see them that way i mean if they know the lord they are a child of the king and so as you're hearing this as you're seeing these things as paul's setting this is what love is not before us this passage is coming before us as something like a love barometer to say where is your love people where is your love church Where is it at in you and in your life? And so love, it's not about you, but also, second, love isn't driven by control and bitterness either. That's what all these ones are about in verse 5. Insisting on your own way, being irritable, Angry, bitter, resentful, keeping a record of wrongdoing. When we aren't getting our way, ask yourself this whose will and whose plan are we really after? Whose good are you really seeking? Listen. Friends, you are not in control. You are not in control, but do you know what we, you can do in the midst of these things? You can trust the God who is in control. God is good, and his plans and his purposes are good, Period. So love, it's not driven by control and bitterness. You know, we would be right to learn from the parable of the unforgiving servant. You know that parable? You know, you, you'll remember how it goes. You know, he was forgiven this massive, insurmountable debt, right? Like, A trillion dollars, like there's no way he's ever going to pay this off, ever. And yet, after he's forgiven, he goes to his servant over here, who basically owes him nothing, like, you better give me my penny, man, I need it, you know? And he's like, give it to me, I'm going to throw you into the dungeon, you know? But what did God say? What did the master say to the unforgiving servant? Friends, not being forgiving towards others may mean you don't know Christ. Hear what he says. Matthew eighteen, thirty-two 32-35. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. It should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers and until he should pay all his debt, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As Christ has forgiven you and has forgiven us, as hard as it may be, not harder than the cross. But as as He has forgiven us, we are to forgive others also. So love isn't driven by control and bitterness, and love doesn't look past sin, but glories in the truth. Doesn't look past sin, but glories in the truth. You know, in our day where right is being said to be wrong and wrong is being said to be right, we don't go with that. That is not love. Love does not do that. Hear me here. It doesn't go with sex before marriage. And it doesn't call that love. God defines what love is, and that is not love. It doesn't say men are women and women are men. It doesn't redefine what God has defined. Love does not rejoice in sin. It rejoices in the truth. And it grieves over wrongdoing. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't say, well, you're doing that. I'm staying away from you. What does it do? It goes and loves, and shares Christ, and it pursues after the wanderer, perhaps the wandering believer. It pursues after them, and it witnesses and shares the gospel with the unbeliever. That's what love does in our day. And then love keeps going. Love keeps going under God, under his word, And under his gospel, it bears all things. It believes, not naively, but in everything God has said. It hopes in all that God has said. And so it endures all things under all that God has said. Love if you could image it and even visualize it as like this indomitable warrior where it's just hit and it's wounded and it's shaken and it's pushed and it's pressured and it's tempted and it's fought against and it's accused and it's challenged and it's rushed and yet what does it do? It keeps on loving. Why? Not because it doesn't feel Not because it doesn't hurt or get hurt. Not because it's a robot. But because Jesus is set before its eyes. Because that's what Jesus did too. And so as we see these things this morning, consider these words from the love chapter. See the robust love that we are to embody also. Love is not the pursuit of self. It's the dying of self for the good of others in view of Christ. It's doing all that for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. So as we consider love, as we consider vision 2024, after everything is said and done here, but what of love? What of the gospel? What of the kingdom? Like Tevi asked, but do you love me? We see here our question, but do you love them? So let us, and may you and may we exhibit this kind of love. May we embody the love of Christ among us here and now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and as we consider each one of these verses and consider our own love, Lord, we consider our lives, we consider our words, we consider our relationships, and we consider how we've talked to each other, how we've related to each other, and our spouses, our children. Lord, we just admit to you, Father. We need to grow in this. Help us grow in this, Father. May your spirit work in us and change us and grow us. Whether it it's that we are more on the emotive-effective side of things, that we just feel these things deeply, or that we're just on the head side of things and we 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 so emphasize knowledge and education and all these other things, but yet help us, Lord to see that, God, you're calling us to loving one another with mind and heart, hands and feet. And any here right now who don't know you, Lord, we lift them up to you and pray that you would help them to see the love of God in Christ Jesus even now. That the one, Jesus, you, Lord, who died for them, to save them, that they would turn to you and be saved. And so be with us, Father, as we respond to your word. May we consider our love and even embody this love today and beyond today, we ask in Jesus' name.